You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. All the girls are complicated. Everyone is precious too, and you might get lucky if you do. Oh, you might get lucky if you do. Find the one that makes you laugh. Find the one that takes your breath where you won't get everything that you want. Oh, but you'll need one to don't Hello and welcome to episode 83 of the Christian Feminist Podcast on Kathleen Norris's book, Quotidian Mysteries, Laundry, Liturgy, and Women's Work. I'm Christina Bieber-Lake, and with me today are Victoria Reynolds-Farmer and Alexis Neal. Hi, Victoria and Alexis. Hi. Hi. All right, so if we'll take a minute for new listeners to introduce ourselves, and um, then we'll get going. Uh, Why don't you start, Victoria? Sure. Thanks, Christina. Hi, everybody. I'm Victoria Reynolds-Farmer. If you listen to the show, you probably know me. I live in Minnetonka, Minnesota, with my husband, Michael, of the Christian Humanist Podcast, and our two cats, Smirjikov and Dorothy Parker. Um, At least for now, we live in Minnetonka. Today, we went out with our realtor to look at buying our first place we've been renting. So that's an exciting uh, adventure, and I'll keep you all updated on that. Great. Alexis. Um, Yeah. Hi, I'm Alexis Neal. Um, I live in southern Missouri with my husband, Coyle Neal, of the City of Man podcast. Um, He teaches on on the faculty at um, Southwest Baptist University, and I teach part-time there as well, um, basically any kind of law-related class that they have, because by training, I am an attorney. uh, But most of my time currently is spent as a stay-at-home mom uh, to our two kids, uh, ages three and one. Um, So... um, I spend a lot of my time doing uh, so-called women's work uh, at this stage in my life. Um, and uh, we're wrapping up the semester. We actually have a, a longer semester than a lot of folks. So I'm almost done with grading. So that's my mm. super exciting thing I have going on right now. Oh, awesome. That is such good news. <laughs> May is great when, when the grades are in, right? All right. Yeah. Well, I, I'm Christina Bieber-Lake. I teach English in Wheaton, in Wheaton Illinois at, the, at Wheaton College. And um, I am the mother of one son, and my husband is an Anglican priest, and my son just placed 11th in the state of Illinois' bowling tournament. Yay, that's so cool. (laughs) Congratulations. So I'm super proud. I'm the proud mom of a state-ranked bowler. (laughs) So we all are uh, involved in quotidian realities of our day-to-day lives, and that's part of the reason why I chose this topic and was interested in doing this program. That, and I happen to really love Kathleen Norris, and and so this little book has been a favorite of mine for a number of years. I also had the opportunity to meet Kathleen Norris uh, one time when she was at Wheaton College, and I got to drive her from the city to Wheaton, and so I got a lot of talking with her, and she's just a wonderful Christian person and poet and writer, and so this is really exciting. So we'll start out, I'll give you a little bit of background on Kathleen Norris for those of you who aren't familiar with her yet, and then we'll jump into some of the questions that we wanted to discuss together. So Kathleen Norris uh, started her career as a poet, but really she's best known for her nonfiction pieces, and I think probably, this is just me guessing, her two best-known books are Dakota, A Spiritual Geography, which she wrote after she had inherited a farm in South Dakota in 1974. And so she moved there with her husband and has lived there for a, had lived there for a long time uh, and wrote that book, which is fantastic. And then the other book she's most well-known for is probably The Cloister Walk, which she wrote after her experience as a Benedictine oblate and spending some time in the abbey Um, in 1986, and she wrote that after that experience. So uh, as a child, she lived in Hawaii, and um, she lives there now. Her husband died about, I'm going to say about 10 years ago, I think, and um, they had been kind of going back and forth between the Dakotas and Hawaii, but I think she's 
pretty well established in Hawaii now. So that's a little background on her. So I thought that we would start by just having everybody answer how they first heard about this text and what prompted you to read it. So Alexis, why don't you get us started on that? Um, sure. I uh, first heard about this book uh, from, um, I guess you'd sort of call it a mommy blog or a women's blog uh, called Modern Mrs. Darcy um, that talks a lot about books. And there was a blog post. I think the one I read was the best book you've never heard of on the Daily Grind um, and specifically recommending this book. Um, and she rec actually recommends this book quite a bit and refers to it quite a bit. Um, the author of that is uh, Ann Bogle. And um and then I, I put it on my to-read list and just kept running into it and having people recommend it or people cite to it. Uh, so um, I thought, hey, you know, I, I spend a lot of my time doing this <clears throat> type of work. Uh, maybe I should you know, read something about uh, theology and the significance of caring for a home and family. So I went ahead and read it. Um, and I it, it wasn't exactly the book that I thought it was going to be, but it did provide a lot of food for thought and then eventually led me to uh, another book that I'll be talking about a little bit later that was more what I was specifically looking for, but um, but I still really, there was plenty for me to reflect on and be challenged by in, in Norris's book, but that was how I initially um, heard about it. Great, Victoria, and we'll get back to that issue of, um, you know, what we expected versus what we got, because I want to talk about that too, but Victoria, how did you first hear about it? Um, well, I actually first heard of this book when it appeared on our recording schedule, um, but I, I had heard of Norris because I have been on a retreat at St. John's Abbey, uh, which is where she wrote The Cloister Walk, which you mentioned earlier. Um, so I had been reading about her for a while, and I've read bits of The Cloister Walk, but I had never heard of this book uh, until we put it on our schedule. But I decided to sign up for this episode because I wanted to learn more about her and her work. Uh, and I'm glad I did. I, I really enjoyed this reading experience, and I'm excited to talk more about it. Great. Well, I am interested in this question of um, the text not being what you expected, because uh, I first got this text as a gift from one of my friends uh, for a birthday present. And I want to say it was maybe 10 or 15 years ago now, maybe 10 years ago. And uh I can't remember exactly when this came out. I should know that. But um, I got it, and I had a young son at the time, very young, and I just loved it. It was like just what I needed at that particular point in my life, so it became a kind of a favorite for me. But it wasn't for me at all what I expected either because I was just kind of blown away by her deeply theological uh, addressing of issues that are behind acedia. She wrote a, look, a book later called Acedia and Me, um, where she spent more time developing an acedia as sloth, uh, for those of you who are not familiar with the term, which doesn't mean laziness, it means um, a lethargy that comes when you're just not able to do anything. And I had experienced acedia quite a bit in my life, and I saw no connection between that and the quotidian life that we all have to inhabit and the working problem that we have with like workaholism. And, and so when I read that, I was like, this is, this is exactly what I've experienced in my own life. And so I'd like to explore that a little bit um, more as we go forward. Do either of you have um, either comments about that or how it was different from what you expected? Um, I'll, I'll let Alexis go last since I think she probably has the most uh, to say on this topic, but I'll uh, chime in and say it wasn't what I expected either. Um, in fact, I checked with a couple of people once I got the book in the mail to make sure that this was the only version available because it's so short. Um, beca because it's it was originally a, a lecture, I thought, well, maybe there's a longer book and I don't want to read the wrong thing. Um, so I, I definitely didn't expect it to be as um, as truncated or as... Gosh, I don't want to say stream of consciousness because that's too, I, I mean, I, that's not what I mean. But I do mean like, I really felt like she was talking to me. This this felt much more like a conversation than a series of arguments, though it certainly mm -hmm. contains arguments um, that I think are really strong. But I, I was really struck by the, the personal um poetic nature of the text and um, it made me 
seek out a lot of the poetry that's quoted in it um, in full text too, which is is great. I always need more poetry in my life. That's great. Uh, well, the the poetry is a large part of why I, I struggled more with the book. Um, I'm a lawyer by training. I'm a point A, point B, point C person. Um, and I was definitely looking more for here is why cooking for your family is theologically significant. And, and well, let's walk through scripture and look and see um, what's going on when we feed our family or when we feed other people. What's going on when we're doing laundry? What's going on? Um, all of these, how do they tie in to scripture and just looking for something that was much more linear um, and that um, like you mentioned, Victoria is not the style that she's writing in, which makes sense. She is a poet and it would make sense that her style would be more poetic. Um, and I, I am not a poet and um, I, I am not someone who appreciates poetry in the same way that I think a lot of people do. Um, my diet of poetry tends to be largely hymn lyrics and nursery rhymes. So um, <laughs> everything that, that, you know, really, really strong rhyme scheme and anything that deviates from that, um, you start to lose me a little bit. <clears throat> and so uh so yeah, so this was not exactly what I was looking for. I think um, the discussion of Acedia was was really challenging and really interesting, and a lot of the the reminders of dailiness with regard to our faith, uh, as I'll talk about in a minute, were really helpful. But it the focus was more on anything that is daily is significant theologically. I, I felt like rather than these specific daily tasks are uniquely theological because of these reasons, like it. It seemed like the points she was making could tie to anything that you have to do on a daily basis, which is great because all of us have things we have to do on a daily basis. But it wasn't what I was expecting of like, why not laundry just because you do it all the time, but like the specific act of cleaning clothes or the specific act of doing um, preparing meals or the specific act of cleaning up toys or whatever. Um, um, so, yeah, I just it wasn't it wasn't quite the linear, you know, ABC that that the lawyer in me craves. <laughs> so um, she, she writes beautifully and I'm sure her poems are wonderful. Um, I, I tended to, to struggle with that, that more. Um, but like I said, there's still plenty for me to think about and be challenged by. Well, Victoria and I still like you, right, Victoria? Yes, of course. <laughs> Feel free to reserve judgment. You, you know, you, you <laughs> this is our first episode together, Christina. <laughs> No, I just love poetry so much, but I understand that not everybody shares those those great loves. Hey, I um, love a good limerick. Don't get me wrong. That's wonderful. Limericks are great. That's that's an art form right there. I I agree. <laughs> All right. Well, I do want to get everybody to talk about uh, your favorite part of the reading, and I think we could probably spend the rest of the time just talking about that because there are so many interesting bits that are just I think filled with insight. Um, I wanted to get started on this question because I had already raised the issue of acedia and its connection um, to the quotidian mysteries or one's inability to really understand that God is present in the day-to-day, -day, you know. Um, what Norris is so brilliant at pointing out is how if you have too high or romantic notion of yourself or your importance and you work really hard all the time, then the flip side of that is the cedia where you are just like, in, unless everything sort of it becomes the dead poet society type of movie, then you get depressed and you can't do anything. And her pointing out that connection to me was just when I first read it, especially eye opening. Um, but yeah, passage, that's really, that's really yeah. huge. I, I've been seeking as someone who struggles um, with both anxiety and depression, um, who, won both of those particular lotteries away hooray for me um i i've been trying to seek out um sort of christian perspectives healthy human christian perspectives not just if you pray more you'll get rid of them perspectives um, which just helps no one right right um i mean praying is is great but it right you know shouldn't be the only response um to those kinds of mental health issues um i've been really trying to find christian voices who deal with those things in realistic ways and that is um definitely one thing that i got from this book mm -hmm. and i will point out that she does a great job of explaining that that depression and acedia are related but they're not necessarily the same things you know and i think that's helpful too uh because sometimes when you have depression like post partum depression or just some deep anxieties or whatever, 
you know, you need to go down a certain route. And then other times you just have this lethargy that's very hard to explain and get rid of. And you can't understand why you don't want to get out of bed in the morning. You know, when she quotes um, Sylvia Plath's bell jar uh, that where she sort of like recognized, oh, I don't even want to wash my hair because then I'll have to do it again. You know, why bother? Right. And yeah. The, and I, I totally, totally get it. Yeah, I did. I did, too. And I found that just really stunning and accurate description. And so the passage that I thought was so great was on page 25 of my edition. I have a couple copies of this, but this is a later one um, where she says, workaholism is the opposite of humility. And to me, an unhumble literary workaholic such as myself, morning devotions can feel useless, not nearly as important as getting about my business early in the day. I know from bitter experience that when I allow busy little doings to fill the precious time of early morning, when contemplation might flourish, I open the doors to the demon of acedia. Noon becomes a blur, no time, no time. The wolfing down of a sandwich as I listen to the morning's phone messages and plan the afternoon's errands. When evening occurs, when evening comes, I am so exhausted that Vespers has become impossible. It is as if I have taken the world's weight on my shoulders and am too greedy and too foolish to surrender it to God. It's very insightful, which is to say, if I jump right into my work and I don't take time for the contemplation, I'm going to become so overtired that I don't have those moments where I can have spiritual rejuvenation, right? Um, which can take place in the quotidian things. I just found that a very, very fascinating insight. Me too. I thought it was lovely. I underlined that, that paragraph as well. Yeah. Um, and what other favorite uh, moments do you have uh, from this text? Alexis, do you have a? Uh, well, I think there's, I mean, there, there are larger themes that I, I hope we'll get a chance to talk about. But uh, one little moment that I, I really appreciated um, is the reminder that if we have a disdain for housework, it's extremely easy for that to bleed over into disdaining anyone who does that kind of work. Um, whether it's someone who stays at home and, and, and is a stay-at-home mom or, or a housewife who's caring for their own home, or whether it's someone who cares for the homes of others, particularly since not only are, you know, the, the, the ones who stay at home and care for their own homes likely to be women, but the ones who are paid to take care of someone else's home also likely to be women. Um, and I just, I really appreciated, uh, the reminder that although, Housework, like any other kind of work, can be distasteful, unpleasant, repetitive daily. Um, it is still good, important work, and it has value. And the people who do it, like all other people, also have value. And that that sort of just a helpful reminder that it's so easy to, like she said, you well, you wouldn't want your kids to do that kind of a job. And we we should, as Christians, say, if you are doing good work that honors the Lord, that you're doing to His glory, we're proud of you. And that's that's not. Um, we, we should not, certainly should not disdain the people who do it and, and shouldn't disdain the work either. That's an excellent point. Victoria, do you have thoughts about that or? I, I think that's definitely true and, and something that, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about this more when I talk about, I think the Christian feminist importance of this book, but I, something I really appreciated about, um, the book is how, um, how much I feel felt like it was fighting to validate multiple various kinds of womanhood in a way that I feel is really important mm -hmm. in including um, what Alexis was mentioning. Mm -hmm. Do you have a, a particular favorite part of the reading otherwise? Yes. Um, I think it's probably both otherwise and related to. Mm -hmm. um, so when we were originally supposed to record this last week, um, which we're recording late because I had, the worst cold in the world, um, which thankfully I have now gotten over, but we were originally supposed to record this on Mother's Day, um, which would have been uh, appropriate, I think. Um, I may have mentioned this on the show before. I never go to church on Mother's Day. Um, mm -hmm. I, I hate it. I My church that I'm a member of is, is pretty good about this, but I've, I've been to places where it wasn't the case. Um, as an adult married woman without children, Mother's Day is occasionally very difficult for me, mm -hmm. um, particularly 
in church services where you get sermons that say things like, um, you know, motherhood is, is the best, most divinely ordained thing that a woman can do. Um, yep. That that can feel really awful, I think, for yep. women who um, can't be or don't want to be mothers for a variety of um intricate and personal reasons mm -hmm. and so I, I usually try to avoid that um, so because of I was thinking about all of those things because we were supposed to record this on Mother's Day the passage that I loved the most in this book is the section where Norris is talking about why um, she doesn't have children and she in fact has has never really felt like she was going to have them Mm -hmm. Um. So I'll read. I thought about you when I read that. When I reread it, Victoria. Oh, thank you. That's lovely. Uh, there is no getting around the fact that in the history of human culture, uh, including that of ancient Israel, a woman's failure to conceive a child has often been considered a curse. And in our own society, while being childless is no longer interpreted as a sign of God's disfavor, many infertile couples seem to feel cursed. Some are so desperate to conceive that they spend many thousands of dollars at fertility clinics. As for myself, having never fulfilled the biological purpose, some would say woman's primary purpose, of conceiving and bearing a child, I have rendered myself useless by the standards of the world. I do not know if I am infertile for any physical reason, as I have never pursued the question. This is because when I was about 15 years of age, I realized that I was not cut out to be a mother. I can't explain this. It was not a choice, but a kind of deep knowing, a radical understanding of my situation and myself that came with the sort of bedrock certainty that I have come to associate with the mystical tradition. Mm -hmm. So I was just so, like, rocked and comforted by that. The fact that mm -hmm. she, um, that just, uh, I don't know if I'm infertile because I've never pursued the question. She just, she just knew. And, and I think I've kind of always just known too, but I've never really heard anybody say it like that. And that was just mm -hmm. really huge for me. Mm -hmm. And there are so many people who, um, churches who would, who would look down on that or like immediately when she, they would read something like that, say, well, that's just not Christian. And, you know, really um, be very negative against that kind of idea. Right. And I, I don't think that's right. I think that, you know, there are ways to be families and ways to serve in communities. Um, and I, I thought that this text really prioritized that, um, as I was mm -hmm. saying earlier, that kind of various uh, ways of, of contributing. And I really appreciated that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because also I used to hate Mother's Day. I still do for the for similar reasons that you're talking about, but I hated it more when I was single. I wasn't married until I was 35. And you'd be sitting there going, okay, what do you do? You know, or if you're a young woman who really wants to be married and have children, you go to a Mother's Day service, right? How do you feel? Terrible, you know? So, yeah, we don't do anybody any uh, great service, any women any great service by making it sound like this is the way to fulfill, you know, the highest way for a woman to fulfill her vocation. And, I mean, I want to be clear. I, my friends who are mothers um, and of course, my friends who are struggling with fertility for various reasons. I mean, that I don't want to degrade those positions either. It's it's wonderful. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, I think the important thing to say is that it's all wonderful. Like it's it's all valid and, and all a way to um, to live Christian life together. Mm hmm. I agree. And speaking about being a mother, um, <clears throat> I had never thought I would be a mother. So that was kind of surprising to me when I did, um, you know, actually think, oh, I think I want to, you know, do this. And then this child came along and, and as all children are, they're just complete foreigners in your household. And you're like, what am I doing? And you have no idea what it means to, to do this crazy thing called parenting. And uh, and how much dailiness there is in it. And I'd like to hear your thought on this, Alexis, because you're more in the dailiness of it. But parenting is just a daily quotidian grind at some level, you know, changing diapers, doing, you know, this other kind of stuff. And if you can't find some kind of joy in it, it's going to be really hard to be a parent. So I really resonated with the part 
um, where she talks about her, I think it was her niece, her, where her yeah. mother was. Yes, I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk about that was what I was going to talk about in the Christian feminism section. Oh, yeah. Great. So. Yeah. I directly resonated with that because when I would pick up my son from daycare, I always gave him a bunch of grapes and I just didn't think because he loved grapes. He loves them. Right. And then when I read that, I was like, oh, this is a beautiful liturgical thing that I'm doing by giving my son, you know, these grapes. And he looks forward to them when I, you know, um, get in the car and pick him up and take him home. So it was just redemptive for me at that moment in a way that I wasn't expecting. So, Alexis, do you have any comments about sort of the quotidianness of, of being a mom? Um, well, I mean, it, it, it certainly it certainly is that. Um, I think... Well, first of all, I think it sounds like it might be a good idea to do a, an episode on Mother's Day um, or something along those lines, um, because I think it would be really helpful to talk about better ways churches can do this and, and worse ways, because I, I have um, I certain conflicting thoughts as far as being wanting to be sensitive and inclusive of the different ways that the Lord puts people in families, like you said, Victoria, uh, but not lose the ability to celebrate with some of those people. Um, and so, and I say that as someone who doesn't care about Mother's Day and often, yeah, doesn't really do anything for it. And so it's not like I'm, you know, uh, trying to emphasize the need for this holiday that I love so that I can be, you know, worshipped. Um, that's not, <laughs> not how it goes at all. But, um, uh, and, and, and I don't, I don't want to argue that, like, we shouldn't recognize mothers in church. We absolutely should. I'm not making that argument at all. Well, no, and that's, that's why I think it's helpful to talk about ways like because often it can be a very small thing that can be a change that you can make that allows for everyone to feel included even as you celebrate a particular type of family or a particular set of circumstances um anyway i just think it would be a, a helpful discussion to have um particularly since we just finished um the Bible study that I'm in, we just finished doing a Jen Wilkins study on the book of Genesis, and she specifically addresses the issue of the command to be fruitful and multiply and ties it to the Great Commission and says, look, this is a command, um, not that there's no benefit to or no, you know, um, you're not honoring God when you physically reproduce, but that the focus in the New Testament is on spiritual reproduction because the family of God is grown, not by having more babies that you raise to be Israelites, but by making disciples, and that's how you become part of the family of God, um, and that is something that we're all commanded to do. Um, and yeah, just and just shifting that focus, um, which I just thought was a really helpful way to to think about things, because regardless of um, what your thoughts are re regarding your family situation, whether you wish it was different, whether you're content with it, that that command to be trying to grow the family of God. Um, that is always applicable. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that was really helpful. Um, none of which addresses your point, Christina, about the, the dailiness of uh, of small children. Um, and that's actually, I think, one of the things I'll, I'll mention later. But mm -hmm. um, it's it's such a great picture, though, of the dailiness of God. And that's one of the things that um, that Norris really brings home, the, the dailiness with which God meets us. Um, and it's a way that that I get to image to my children because I'm never going to do as many, you know, clean as many dirty diapers up or change as many dirty diapers as the Lord has forgiven my sin and filth. Like that's <laughs> like, he is clean cleansing my filth way more often um, and way more times. And he's doing it for everyone who, who trusts in Christ. So, um, but it's a small way that I can imitate him. And it's, you know, I pick up their mess. He picks up my messes so much of the time um, and protects me from consequences and I protect them. And I mean, it's, it's just this constant parallel, um, and that helps me to remember that I'm not this put upon martyr who's having to, um, you know, endure this unique hardship. Um, instead I have a gift of being able to, to image Christ to my children, um, in a way that's specific to my circumstances and someone in different circumstances, they, they get to image Christ in those circumstances. And that's, mm -hmm. um, one of the great things I think about the way that God works in his church is he's so big that every every circumstance and every walk of life has an opportunity to reflect a facet of his character and his, his work. That's great. Well, uh, let's go ahead and move to the next question that we had. Uh, you know, how does this text speak to the concerns of Christian feminism? Uh, so I, I mentioned before that I wanted to go to a particular passage that you just alluded to Christina, uh, where Norris is talking about, um, 
an incident in her niece's life, or her niece who's also named Christina, um, mm-hmm. and a, a story about um, Christina's working mother and in a way that um, the quotidian mysteries play out in their lives. So I'll just, I'll read a bit of this and then we can talk about it. When my niece Christina was a toddler, she's now 20, her mother worked as a stockbroker and financial planner. My brother, Christina's father, who's a disciples of Christ pastor, would drive her to take care in the morning, and her mother would pick her up after work. And every afternoon, she brought Christina an orange, peeled so that the child could eat it on the way home. One day, Christina was busying herself, playing mommy's office on the front porch of our house in Honolulu, and I asked her what her mother did at work. Without hesitation, and with a conviction I relish to this day, she looked up at me and said, she makes oranges. (laughs) And that is what God does, I think. Making oranges and wind and the ocean and green leaves and everything else that constitutes our earthly home. Christina's mother had fulfilled a priestly role, priestly in the archetypal sense, in the priesthood of all believers, by allowing the child to participate in a daily ritual, a liturgy of the delicious orange, bright as the sun, sweet with the juice that is the body and blood of this world. That's just a beautiful passage. So beautiful. And I actually, um, I decided that I wanted to talk about it um, partly because, Alexis, it made me think of you because you posted something on Facebook recently. One of those, like, um, I think it may have been a Mother's Day gift from your uh, your child's school. Um, and, uh-huh. he's, and he said that... Uh, his his favorite thing that you make him is oranges so that i i um i i thought of of this passage and that um because you had said it's just a can of oranges right you just open the yeah can i don't of even oranges. peel them <laughs> so, <laughs> well that's a pop top can so i mean i don't even have to bust out a can opener it's i mean it's nothing so <laughs> that's that well it's still liturgy too that's fine um but what i what i loved so much um <coughs> about this passage um and, and the metaphor is that it um, it shows the effort of this working mother to create a routine where she's present in her child's life within the rhythms of their day, their commute. Um, and she does something that's small and beautiful and, and still holy even in its smallness. Um, and you get um, the child playing mommy's office on the porch you know she knows that her mother works and that's a good and normal thing um i just mm-hmm. just the the tiny little ways that this story validates multiple paths of of womanhood and motherhood i think is is really um beautiful and rich and um i think all of us could could learn a lot from i completely agree with that do you have any thoughts about that alexis um no i I I thought it was a beautiful passage as well. Yeah. I yeah, and and it's so funny cuz you don't think of that as like directly impacting the concerns of of Christian feminism and yet it does in all of those ways that Victoria just laid out. Oh, know. and I I should also mention um it's important that the both parents are sharing the work, right? That the dad is doing the drop off and the mom is doing the pickup and this is a normal a normal rhythm of their life. It's not remarked upon, it just is. Yes, that's right. That's right. And of course, we've already touched on this uh, being such a validation of all the different ways that women's lives can work and that um, and be faithful women. And, and that is certainly speaking directly to the concerns of, of Christian feminism, because uh, that's what we believe, the flourishing of all women. And that's going to be different for different women, what and, that's going to look like. And all, not just all women, the flourishing of all, all people too. I know exactly a lot yes, of, look. a lot of Christian feminist men uh, listen to this show too. So we, Absolutely. we, we see you. We do. We see you when we need you. You know, it's funny because when, one time my son, when he was very small, uh, he went to a, a Christian um, elementary school, and it, I think he was there for first and second grade in kindergarten. And uh, they would provide this little market that they could buy things, you know. I mean, you'd have to give them money, of course, but they could buy things for Mother's Day or Father's Day or whatever. And it kind of gave them a little bit of choice, and you know, I'm going to choose something for my parents. It's a really good idea, right? And my son had picked out for my husband for Christmas a T-shirt 
that had Menards on it. <laughs> and and then we, it occurred to us that that he had picked this out because that's what he associated, you know, doing with daddy. And daddy would take him to Menards when he needed to go to Menards to do some home shopping, you know, for, for the house, like a Home Depot type thing. And it, we just got both got a kick out of that. But that showed you that those sort of deep rituals, the things that you do together, sink in, you know, to the children. Um, and that there's a kind of a spirituality to that, too, if that makes any sense. We loved it. It felt like a gift. Like, oh, you recognize that this is where we spend time together. Even though it's, you know, kind of shopping, it's still we're spending time together. And this is what Dad and Donovan do, you know. Yeah, that's that's lovely. Those Those little tiny things are important. They really are. So are any other thoughts about uh, how this text is important to Christian feminism? Um, I also wanted to mention, I'm not sure I can find it now. Um, maybe I can. There's a, a line where she's talking about when she decides to be a writer and when she goes to male writers for advice. Um, and then she finally just decides not to care what they think. Oh, yeah. Where is that page? Yes, that is so important. While you're looking that up, I will just say that it was a huge part of my life as an academic when I finally just tried to, I stopped trying to be in the men's group, you know, the in group at at the college and just start my own writing group, you know. And uh, that was just a huge moment for me as a woman, as a woman academic. Oh, I can't find it. I'll, uh... You can just talk about it. Well, she's she's trying to decide. Um, it's before she writes Dakota, and she's trying to figure out sort of where what the book is that's living inside her and and how to get it out. I think is is pretty close to what she um, what she says. And she describes this conversation she's having with a male writer as basically um, w- what gives you the right to think anybody wants to hear your story is is their attitude. Um, toward her and I have certainly been um, condescended to that way by Mm -hmm. male academics as someone who writes um, who wrote about um, pop culture and and young women's culture a lot Um, you know what what makes you think anybody's going to uh, care about the political implications of that silly young adult novel as if it has any political implications mm-hmm. um, you know these are just things for little girls why should we care about them that sort of thing I've definitely dealt with um, so I, I appreciated her speaking to that kind of minimi- minimizing um, of feminine stories and thoughts um, and it, it makes sense to me that she had to deal with that because I think I think you can see it in what she prioritizes, in that she says that there are many valid ways to to live and to be, um, and that that validation is is clearly very important to this text. I think it's clear that she's someone who's had to think through that and deal with that pushback a lot. That's great. Well, this is all, of course, connected to um, my next question, which is, what does the church need most from this text? I mean, outside of the challenge to the sort of typical ways of thinking about women, which the church definitely needs. Um, Alexis, do you have some thoughts on that? I do. And I even have three points <laughs> because All I right. told you. Lay them out, that's how, that's how I do. Yeah. So um, I really, I don't know if this is so much for the church as an institution uh, so much as for, for individuals, because it's what I felt like I needed as a reminder as a Christian. Um, and that is the reminder of the dailiness of faith, right? Because the focus of her book, she uses housework as as the the sort of uh, way to open the door, but the real focus is on anything you do daily. I mean, anything you do daily, anything that needs done repetitively um, or never endingly, depending on your viewpoint, Um I think works as a sort of substitute in for, for the, the things she's discussing. So the dailiness of faith, three applications of it. Two, she dwells on at some length. One, I wish she would have talked more about. Um, the first one is the dailiness of God's um, supplying of our needs. And she talks a, a lot about that. Um, you know, our, we know our savior's work is finished, right? There, there's a way in which our needs have been already fulfilled in the past. Um, and nothing that we do can or, or, or needs to be added to that. Um, but we experience that salvation in a very day-to-day, moment-by-moment way. Um, 
you know, we know he he forgives us daily for our sins. Um, his mercies are new every morning. Um, and we see that kind of language repeated in scripture, um, the principle of the Israelites and the manna, right? <laughs> they they only get enough for today. Um, and that's the same, I think, for us. There's a, a great quote that I love uh, that's by uh, D.L. Moody um, that was very convicting to me as someone who at times wanted to sort of get everything over with um, or wanted, you know, grace enough for today and the next month. Um, or the next year, uh, and that is a man can no more take in a supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough for the next six months or take sufficient air into his lungs at one time to sustain life for a week. We must draw upon God's boundless store of grace from day to day as we need it. Um, I just, I love that. I love that reminder of grace for today. It's grace for today. It's not grace for a year from now. It's not grace for 10 years from now. It's for today. Um, and that is exactly what Norris is saying about housework. We can't do all of the dishes for the next month now. We can't do all of the laundry for the next year now. Um, we receive our daily bread, all of our needs, spiritual or physical, from God as we need it. And that's daily. So that was the first one. The second application is then um, our work on our progressive holiness. So we daily receive from God. We also daily strive for increasing progressive holiness. Uh, again, with the reminder that Christ's finished work uh, is, is the backdrop here. We have righteousness before God, um, but our, our positional, our, our personal righteousness has not yet been perfected. So every day we're pursuing holiness and trying to mortify sin. And we have to do it day by day because sin tempts us day by day. And if we want to honor and glorify God, uh, if I want to honor and glorify God by living a life of obedience to him, I have to fight that sin every day. I can't fight sin for a little while and then take a break and like have fought sin for the next six months and then just check out like some kind of weird Lent or something. Okay. Um, and it seems never ending. And oh my gosh, it's so tiring. I'm so sick of fighting whatever the sin is. I so want to fight it all and be done with it forever. Like washing my hair or making the bed and just not have to do it anymore. Um, but that's not how it works. I have to fight it daily. And one of the ways I do that is by daily pursuing spiritual disciplines or at the appropriate intervals, I guess not all of it is daily, but uh, things like praying, studying and meditating on the word, taking communion, sitting under the preaching of the word, gathering with my local church. Again, I can't do that super intense for a season and then I'm good because I stocked up on it like some kind of weird spiritual camel. Um, that's not... <laughs> I, <laughs> That's not That's the awesome. way it works. <laughs> and so um, it's really tempting. Like sometimes I really want to do that. Um, and it's awful to say, I, I appreciated Norris points out that we can get sick of, almost sick of worship the same way we get sick of dishes or laundry, yes. um, which is so horrible, like that we would get tired of daily trying to glorify the one who does so much for us and daily never tires of daily caring for and extending his boundless grace to us. Like, that's crazy, but we're crazy. We're sinners. Um, well, so I say this and is a reminder And we're mortal to me. humans, too. Like, yes. we have bodies and God doesn't. I mean, Jesus did, and obviously that's important, and I'm not trying to forget that. But, like, you know, my body is mortal and it gets tired sometimes. Well, no, I mean, and that that is certainly true. And, and I appreciated her her reminder that uh, if we resist too much against the dailiness of life, that that way lies Gnosticism. And that's not, that's not healthy, healthy, like the incarnational nature of our faith. Like we have bodies and that's good. Um, yes. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, so uh, the reminder that I took from that was um, I need to be pursuing these disciplines in a quotidian way. Um, and as a, a brief side note, if you are like me and you have found yourself going through those more desert seasons, um, I mean, it is true that we should be convicted about that, absolutely, and repent of it, but we should also be encouraged because every day is new. Um, I heard it, I don't remember where I heard it, but someone said basically, uh, it doesn't matter um, how many steps we've taken away from God, if we turn around, he's just one step the other way. Um, and and it's when I have gone for prolonged periods without being in the word or without praying, it's very tempting to think I can't start again until I have time for like a marathon session to make up for lost time. Um, and that's, that's not how it works. I didn't have to mm -hmm. do anything to merit salvation in the first place. And I certainly don't have to do anything uh, to, to renew and repent. Um, I can just start anew. It's fresh. It's, it's a fresh day with new mercies. There's no reason to delay. You can always start back in. You don't have to wait till you have like six hours to spend in Bible study. Um, 
so those are the two, right? So God provides for us in a daily way. Um, and then we pursue holiness in a daily way. Uh, the final one, which I don't think she talked about as much, is that we love our neighbors in a daily way. Um, and this is particularly uh, um, relevant to the, the ostensible subject of the essay, housework. My family has to eat every day. They need clothes to wear every day. They need a home to live in every day. So every day I have a chance to serve the least of these, my nearest neighbors, my children and my husband, by meeting their needs in a small reflection, as I said before, of how God in Christ and through his providence has met all of my needs. Um, so I, I, as I mentioned earlier, I wish there would have been a little more time spent to um, discussing the inherent value of various kinds of housework, not just because of its dailiness, but because it is good to feed the hungry. It is good to clothe the naked. Um, Loving our neighbors isn't always exciting and new and full of variety. Sometimes it's bathing an elderly relative every day or laundering filthy, stinky, spit up covered clothes and then laundering mm -hmm. them again the next day. Um, all of that mm -hmm. is a way to love our neighbor in a daily way. And and that, yeah, I just I think that's an incredibly helpful reminder. It's not just do awesome stuff and then take a break and you don't have to love your neighbor anymore. Like it's sometimes it's boring and repetitive and never ending and we get sick of it, but we still do it because our neighbor still needs our love. Mm -hmm. Anyway, That's those great. are That's great. those are my my thoughts on sort of the the reminder that I needed um, and appreciated from the text. Mm -hmm. Victoria, Dad, do you have anything to add? Um, I I needed that reminder too. I mean, I I think we all do. I think there are certain things. Um, I know there are specific activities I was thinking of when when Alexis was saying there are things that sort of wear us down with their dailiness. Um, so it, it just makes me feel good, even though I know logically that I'm not the only person uh, who feels that way. It makes me feel good just to hear um, someone else yeah. I know say that that's true for their life, too. So thanks, Alexis. That helps. Hey, I'm happy to complain and bless others by my complaining anytime. <laughs> well, you know, the uh, the whole um, question of Gnosticism, I mean, that's been kind of, if you had to name a baseline um, career interest, that's it for me, is, is how the American church has become Gnostic, how our lives are Gnostic, and how we need to not be Gnostic. So I was very, you know, attentive to that thread in this text as well. And, and the reason why I'm so interested in studying it is because how tempted I am um, toward that by thinking that, you know, this laundry, doing laundry stinks or cooking stinks. And I need, you know, I think I should be doing better things, you know, quote unquote, with my time, uh, which is a Gnostic way of, of thinking about the things that you have to do in your body and the fact of your body. And I hate that in myself. So I think that's a wonderful challenge that this uh, text puts toward the church just as away from its Gnostic tendencies. Any challenge to move away from Gnostic tendencies is a good challenge. I totally agree. Absolutely. Well, I, yeah. I think that the last thing that we wanted to, to talk about was the places in your lives where you're most aware of the quotidian mysteries. Norris talks a lot about laundry and walking. Um, is that do those resonate with you or do you have different ones uh victoria um well i will say i wanted to add this bit to our schedule um for maybe a bad reason i don't know but i'll be honest about it anyway um i was sort of not shocked but i was a, a little jolted um by the section in the text where she talks about, um, I don't remember the person's name, but there's a priest um, who says that walking is a way that he connects with the the dailiness of God, um, because you can walk and, um, you know, anybody can uh, walk without sort of thinking about what you're doing. It's not a thing you have to focus on. Um, and you can do it easily and still think about other things. And I thought, ooh, I, I bet that priest is an able-bodied person, because that's certainly not my experience of what walking is. Um, the, the quotidian mysteries don't live there in my life, but they live in other places. Um, so that's that's what made me want to, to think about that. And I um, when I think about the places in my life where the quotidian mysteries live, um, it's mostly cooking and, and meal planning. Um, I do the grocery shopping and, and meal planning for our household. And 
while I usually complain about it. Um, in fact, I've, I've probably often said that meal planning is my least favorite part of every week. Um, I usually do it on Saturday mornings. Um, it is definitely a way that I think I can worship and feel close to God too, because I, I get to think about how to use, um, use what is in my household best, um, to, to not waste, uh, the provisions that God has given us and also to use them in a way that makes the other people of my household feel good. Um, you know, what, what things do we still need to use? What, uh, what does Michael like to eat? What does, uh, Elizabeth, the student who, um, lives in our house. What does she like to eat? How can I, um, you know, put these foods together in a way that um, allows me to cook things that they will enjoy, but also won't take too long for us to cook and clean up so we can spend time together? You know, all, all of that stuff goes into a calculation that is really about um, how I can serve other people the best. So if I think about it that way, um, it's not my least favorite part of the week anymore. That's a great answer. Uh, what about you, Alexis? Well, sort of along similar lines. Um, I Having a three-year-old and a one-year-old, being able to do something like the dishes or the laundry and quietly reflect on whatever or listen to a sermon or listen to something, uh, which is often what I do, uh, that's actually a luxury. <laughs> it's not nearly uh, as um, holy or, or, I don't know, uh, spiritually uh uh, a rich experience to do dishes when I'm constantly having to extract the one-year-old from the dishwasher um, or when I'm, you know, trying to do laundry while the, you know, usually the one-year-old is, is also then taking everything and putting it back on the floor after I folded it or, or whatever. Um, or I'm trying to, you know, think any kind of thought um, while there's the chaos around me and I'm breaking up fights and all these other things. Uh, so I definitely had the moment of like, oh, this person who's talking about housework in this way is a person who does not have children, who can do, you know, presumably her husband is not like screaming in the background while she's trying to do laundry and be all contemplative um, or, you know, um, you know, hauling on her hand every you know four steps, wanting to look at a sweet gumball on the ground when she's trying to walk and you know have be contemplative while walking. Uh, so again, it's it's not going to be the same for everyone. Um, when I have that quiet time, I do really enjoy doing doing the dishes because it it engages my hands without but leaves my mind free for other things like a sermon, um, <clears throat> which I particularly uh, appreciate. Um, but the the sort of symbolic. And I mean, there's there's symbolism to the dishes, right? You're constantly cleaning and they're constantly getting dirty. Uh, that dailiness is there. But I pick up toys. I don't at least twice a day uh, in our house and the boys help um, to the extent that they can. Uh, and my husband teases me a little bit because he's like, you know, they're just going to pull all the toys out again after nap time. Um, but it it makes a huge difference to my mental state while they're down for their naps or rest time um, to be sitting in a house that's not strewn with all of the toys and books and everything that, that they've had out all morning. Um, it is, it is soothing to my soul to have that. It, it makes a huge difference. Um, it is something that leaving it until later, it doesn't work. And I think that's mm -hmm. a, a good reminder to me that not every, you can't leave everything for later. Some things, it really makes a difference that you deal with them as they come up and, and again, the constant picture of the Lord never tires. He never tires of washing us uh, clean of sin. He never tires of hearing our, at times, silly and panicked questions or or requests for assistance. Um, yeah, just just the, the the image there of His tirelessness in 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 contrast to my grouchy, grumpy, complaining, you know, uh, attitude towards towards my small uh, set of obligations mm. is always is always helpful. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's really a thoughtful. And I, I feel like one of the things that I'm really working on in my own spiritual life, and I do view this spiritually, especially after rereading this book, which I have to say is on my soul shelf, I have a, you know, sort of metaphorical shelf of all the things that I like to read and reread. And this is one of the books that's on there for precisely this reason. Um, I feel like it's a spiritual challenge for me to, first of all, live in the present moment. But then think about my things, the things that I own as gifts that um, I'm a caretaker of, uh, you know, that's a spiritual sort of um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Stewardship, right? And that if I am constantly, you know, rushing through the dishes, how fast can I get the laundry done? It, it doesn't have that kind of feeling of gratitude toward that. You know, it's like I get to do the laundry because I own these clothes. Right. Or I get to cook because we have food and we have these wonderful, you know, cooking implements. That's the place that I want to be is that is that place of gratitude toward the things that God has given me. And that would help me also to alleviate clutter. And, and I think that's related to what you're saying, Alexis. You have to, you know, clean those things up. It's a way of appreciating your things and caring for them. Um, Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And that's the place I want to be. Well, and particularly with, with the kids, right? Like, like it is not just my attitude. Like, I want to shape their attitude attitudes as well to say having things means caring for things. Everything we have is a gift from God, and we, we mm-hmm. don't want to abuse that uh, any more than we would abuse any gift, precious gift from uh, a beloved friend or family member. We, we want to take care of those things and, and, um, and steward them exactly like you said. Mm-hmm. And she's got this great section in the book where she talks about wholeness and, and how, you know, taking care of your things and, and doing the laundry and this is related to wholeness. And she says that having that kind of attitude toward your possessions and toward your quotidian life is countercultural because consumer society, you know, um, she says fragmented people make for better consumers. And I thought about that for a long time, and I thought that's exactly right. If you are constantly trying to buy something to to fill, you know, if I had this, my life would be better. Instead of just, I really appreciate these things that I have, and I'm going to um, do the laundry with care. I'm going to do the cooking with care because of that. I was just very encouraged by that reminder. I was too. I I think I, I get in these phases so often where I'm, I'm looking forward to the next, or not even looking forward, sometimes just dreading the next thing that I have to do that I, I'm not really present in the thing that I'm currently doing. And mm-hmm. certainly I think that's true of, of things like um, washing dishes or, or grocery shopping um, or making the bed. I One of you mentioned um, making the bed. I wish I could just make the bed once and never have to make the bed again. I hate it. Um, (laughs) So I I, I really think um, something that I'm going to think more about is is being present um, in those moments actively as acts of worship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and to try to change the language that we talk with our to ourselves with, you know, sort of not I have to do this, but I get to do this that, you know. That is a really transformative thing um, spiritually. I have the opportunity to care for my children. I have the opportunity to make this meal for my husband. I've got the opportunity, you know, I've got this great bed. I'm going to make it and and I can sleep in it tonight. You know, I don't know. There's just something there that's really, really important. That's definitely been my experience with staying home with the kids, um, even mm. when they are one and three and driving me insane. And all I want to do is check Facebook and read an article from start to finish without having to go and, oh. you know, pull something out of someone's mouth or whatever. Yeah. And, and I have to remind myself that it is such a blessing that I get to be home with them, that I, I it is something that I really wanted to do. And, and I realize that circumstances sometimes prevent people from doing that. And, and not everybody's uh, experience is the same. I'm not trying to make it be normative for other people, but, um, that that's precious to me, that I would not mm. want to make that trade. And the Lord in his kindness has made it possible for for me to be able to be home with them. For when I'm teaching, the school lets us stagger our schedules so that we're able to do that. And and that even when it doesn't feel like a gift, and a lot of times it doesn't feel like a gift, um, but it is yeah. a gift. And if I take that step back and be like, would I want this to be different? Would I, would I want to be able to... Um, what I want to come home and hear about what my kid did all day. Uh, well, no, for me, I really wanted to be able to, to be there um, and be a part of that. And, um, and yeah, I just, I, that I am tremendously grateful because I know it would be so difficult for me if the situation were different. And one day it may be, it may be that this is just a season and the Lord's kindness may change over time. He may choose to, to challenge our family in a different way, but for now it's a blessing. And I, I need to remind myself that it is a blessing because it's, it's, it is not something that I'm entitled to, and it's not something everyone necessarily has. And that's a great link back to what we were talking about earlier about the, how a Christian feminist, how Christian feminists can learn from this text. And, and it's precisely that, that all women's work 
whether you're working, uh, you know, as a business person out of the home or in the home, all of it needs to be validated as good work, right? Um, if you're a stay-at-home mom, that's good work. If you're not, you're still doing good work. It doesn't mean you're doing bad work, you know. And I just, I think that's so important uh, for uh, for us to hear. All right. Well, are we, are we ready for our um, passing on segment? I think we are. All right. Well, Victoria, why don't you start, and then Alexis, and then I'll go. Sure. Um, I'm going to try to not embarrass Christina, but um, my recommendation is a version of a talk that I had the immense joy and pleasure of hearing her give. Um, I always love when I get to hang out with my panelists in person, and we got to spend some time together recently uh, at the it was wonderful at the Conference on Christianity and Literature at Union University in Tennessee. Um, and I got to hear Christina give the chapel talk, um, which was on um, the response of the church to um, the Me Too controversy and just giving advice about um, how we, particularly young college students, can um, can comport themselves and can ask God to help them um, when they're in a situation where they're trying to figure out um, how they fit into the world um, in terms of messages that the world gives them about sexuality. Um, and some of the things uh, I know got developed in the episode of this show that we did on Me Too, but I was I was really gratified um, hearing you give that speech, and also in seeing um, the young women in the crowd there um, respond and say that they really needed to hear such a strong um, Christian feminist message, where the phrase Christian feminist was used openly in their chapel, um, and that was just, that was great to see and made me, um, as I always am, proud to uh, to be your friend and to be able to work with you. Uh, oh, thank you. I'm so honored by that. Thank you for that. And I also want to add um, a second recommendation. Um, at that same conference, I met and got to have a number of lovely conversations uh, with a woman named Autumn Privet, who also has a really great podcast that I have been devouring this past month uh, called Reading Women. Um, and that title has two layers. Uh, they are to women who enjoy reading, but also it is uh, a podcast about um, books by and for women uh, to to expose people to more women authors. Um, it's great. They read great stuff. They have great discussions. Um, we'll link to that. If you're a fan of this show, there are lots of things about that show that you're going to like. So I'm going to link to um, a different version of Christina's Chapel Talk than the one I heard. I'm going to link to the one that she gave at Wheaton. Um, but you should definitely listen to that, and you should definitely listen to the Reading Women podcast. Those are, those are good. Thank you, Victoria. Alexis? Uh, I'm also going to make a couple different recommendations um, in increasing uh, amount of time that they require to be uh, invested. Um, first off, um, uh, I want to recommend the hymn Day by Day by Carolina W. Sandel Bird. Um, it's an old, I think, Baptist hymn, but I guess she's not Baptist because she's from she's from Sweden. So, um, but it's it's a great reminder of the dailiness of our faith and the the dailiness of the provision of grace that we get. Um, and fun fact, apparently, this lady was known as the Fanny Crosby of Sweden because she wrote like 650 hymns. So, um, uh, written by a woman who presumably knew quite a bit about some of the daily stuff um, that that we all deal with. Uh, so that's a great hymn to sort of be be singing to yourself or listening to for that reminder. Um, I also have a podcast to recommend. Uh, the Risen Motherhood podcast is excellent across the board, um, and they they specifically explore how the gospel applies to various aspects of motherhood in about 20-minute episodes, so they're real short, nice to do while you're, say, knocking out the dishes or whatever. Um, and they have an episode specifically called Dirt, Dishes, and Diapers, Coping with the Never-Ending Mess, which, as you can imagine, is relevant to our conversation today. The rest of their episodes are also excellent, but that one was particularly relevant. And then the the most time intensive recommendation I have is another book, uh, the one I said I finally found that was what I was looking for, uh, and that is Keeping House, The Litany of Everyday Life by Margaret Kim Peterson. Uh, she's a professor of theology and psychology at Eastern University, 
And her book actually does walk through the significance of different aspects of housework. So uh, laundry, she starts with things like God clothes Adam and Eve uh, when they're leaving the Garden of Eden. And she walks through, you know, refers to scripture all the way through us being clothed in robes of white in Revelation and then talks about how that can inform our view of laundry. Uh, how does the Lord feed us throughout scripture? What is What does food do throughout scripture? How does that inform the way we think about feeding our family? Um, and, uh, and Victoria, she also is very explicit that um, everyone keeps house regardless of what their experience is, whether they have children, whether they're married, any of that, you still have a person in your home who needs to eat and who needs to wear clothes and all of those things. So I appreciate um, that more expansive definition of keeping house as well. But anyway, it's a fantastic book and um, one that I have reread um, since, since I discovered it. So if you're looking for that uh, exploration of the biblical themes relating to different aspects of housework. Margaret Kim Peterson's book is excellent. Um, and then I think there's a bunch of other books on, on these similar topics that maybe we'll throw into the show notes that either we've read or that maybe um, we haven't read, but, but look like they might be promising. Um, and I'm particularly interested in knowing if any of our listeners have read a book that Norris refers to uh, in a more extended section in in this book uh, called Through the Kitchen Window. Um, that's a collection of essays about food and kitchen work. Um, so I've not had a chance to read it yet, but if any of our listeners have, I would love to hear what they thought of it. That's really great. I, don't, I haven't read that either. That's very interesting. And there are a number of really excellent books out there um, on this topic. Um, in fact, I'm recommending one myself by Tish Warren, who is an Anglican priest and a writer, and uh, she's written an award-winning book called Liturgy of the Ordinary, Sacred Practices in Everyday Life. And it's really very well written. And what she does is kind of follow a, 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 her experience through one day. So she starts with breakfast, um, you know, other things that are going on, and then an argument with her husband. And, you know, sort of just each chapter follows a different part of the day. And it's just really very well written. And um, I really enjoyed it. So that's my recommendation. I, I looked uh, that book up after you yeah, mentioned it, and it looks good. really interesting. I'm, I'm really excited to add that to my list because I had not heard of it before, and it looks really good. Yeah, it is good. And she's just a very good writer. I so. love her. I haven't read yeah. that book, but she's, um, I, I've just been really impressed with um, recent blog posts that I've read by her. Um, mm -hmm. And I started following her on Twitter. Um, I don't do a lot of Twitter because I have to do it for work and it just doesn't feel like a fun thing anymore. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I That's did. like email. Right. <laughs> I did make it a point to, to follow her and um I, I want to read that book, too, because she's great. Yes, and she has a daughter named Flannery, who I got to meet recently. So that was nice. Named after, yes, Flannery O'Connor. Oh, well, I mean, obviously, she's wonderful obviously. if she's doing that. Exactly. Okay, well, let's wrap it up. Thank you all for listening to the Christian Feminist Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a topic or reading recommendations for future shows, or if you just want to drop us a line, you can do so at christianfeministpodcast at gmail.com. For show notes for this and other episodes, check out christianhumanist.org. The Christian Feminist Podcast is a member of the Christian Humanist Podcast Network. Kristen Philippic is our publishing liaison, and Ellen Peterson is our intern. For Victoria Reynolds Farmer and Alexis Neal, I'm Christina Bieber-Lake. Tune in in two weeks for an episode on global reproductive health. Until then, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in all things love. <laughs>